Welcome to Insider Coaching for Educators, where we explore the insider knowledge that coaches gain from doing the work with diverse groups of teachers and educational leaders. Join us in mindfulness practice and conversation to delve into those pieces of insider knowledge that we've all learned along the way. Whether you've been coaching for one month or for 20 years, we're so glad you're here and we're thrilled to be learning with and from you. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Insider Coaching for Educators, the podcast for coaches by coaches. I'm Laura Lang. And I'm Nicole Hester. Combined, we have over 30 years of coaching experience in various settings, and we invite you to find a comfy chair or a quiet stretch of road or woods, or to settle into the seat of your car. No matter how you decide to join us, we're really glad you're here. During the next 20 minutes, we'll invite you to reflect along with us, drawing on your own insider knowledge to help us all delve into the heart and soul of educational coaching. Each episode, we'll start with a brief mindfulness activity to center ourselves. Then we'll explore one piece of insider coaching wisdom gleaned from our experiences and from the experiences of our incredibly wise coaching colleagues around the world. At the end of each episode, we'll invite you to join us in reflecting on one question or trying out one practice in your own setting. So let's get started. In addition to being a longtime coach, I'm also a certified yoga and mindfulness teacher. I know firsthand how important it is for us coaches to center ourselves so that we're able to bring our best selves into our coaching interactions. So let's take a moment and do just that. Wherever you are, Try and find some stillness. If you're in a place that it's safe for you to close your eyes, please do so. Feel your feet on the ground or the floor. Let your breath move all the way down to the soles of your feet, connecting you to the strength and stability of the earth. Notice how when you connect yourself to the earth, your heartbeat slows a little, your breath begins to settle and slow down, and maybe even your mind starts to slow. Let's take one more breath here, feeling our connection to the ground. Let your hands come to rest somewhere on your torso, unless of course you're driving your car, then please keep them on the steering wheel. And if your eyes were closed, let them gently open. All right, let's get started. Thanks so much, Nicole. Unlike you, I am not a yoga teacher and I, Really, really recently came to mindfulness practices. So thank you for introducing those to all of us. You're welcome. So as we all know, um, each new coaching relationship, whether with an individual teacher or with an international teacher leadership project, 
teaches us something new about our work, about ourselves, and how to bring our best selves to our partners, and about why coaching, in all of its forms, remains so relevant and so impactful. That brings us to our first piece of insider coaching wisdom. There really is no one best way to coach. Yes, say that again. There really is no one best way to coach. Despite what some coach training programs may proclaim, there is no one best way to coach. If you're ready to turn down the volume now, we understand mm-hmm. why. If you know me or Nicole, you might actually be wondering a little bit why, we, why we're saying this at the moment. But so many coaching programs or models sell themselves as the best way or as the new way to better impact teachers and student learning outcomes. They really have to in order to market their approaches. And there's so many excellent coaching trainings out there, and we're intimately familiar with a lot of them. And we all need to start somewhere. There needs to be some sort of framework to anchor our practices and how we interact with our mentors and coaching peers who can help us learn. But all of the experienced coaches we've spoken to and our own personal experiences tell us that we all need to draw from multiple models in order to best meet our coaches' needs. Nicole, this is one of the first conversations you and I had when we met a few months ago. We both came to understand that coaching responsively and respectfully is so much more complex than we realized when we first started. Can you share a little bit about kind of how it's changed for you? What did that first coaching experience of yours look like? Yeah, uh, I started out coaching as one of the first people in the district that I worked in who was ever coaching. We had one special ed teacher who did a little bit of like on the side coaching stuff, but my principal basically like carved out a position by shifting how he did sections. And I was the first coach that got to do that. And we really kind of made it up as we went along. He sent me to all sorts of training I, trainings. I went to mentor trainings. I went to conferences where I learned from Jim Knight or, um, you know, read books by Elena Aguilar, Diane Sweeney, like the whole gamut. But really what I found was that each teacher needed something different. Some teachers needed a very structured system. Some teachers didn't want to feel like they were being coached and wanted to have a conversation. So I was really able to draw on all of the different training that I had, as well as just my experience interacting with human beings and being a relationship first kind of person to be able to really serve all of the teachers that I worked with as well as possible. And I completely think that if we would have been married to one particular coaching style, we wouldn't have been able to, to serve everyone even remotely as well as being able to be flexible. So it, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that that's a similarity to how, you know, you and I both started in situations where we were truly making it up as we went along, which doesn't happen for coaches as much. No, not anymore. At all. <laughs> and in some ways, I think that um, that was a challenge for us. But I think it also posed some advantages. For sure. I mean, I think that had there been a pre-existing program that I stepped into, 
it would have felt a lot more difficult to recognize that there's a lot of different ways to do this. And sort of by trial and error, that's how I figured it out. Like, oh yeah, there are a lot of different ways because I'm trying a lot of different ways and seeing what sticks. Yeah, and I had that experience too. And I started coaching um, in the early 2000s. So people really weren't talking about coaching Mm -hmm. in schools yet. There were other... Uh, models of supporting teachers that existed. Um, I was trained as a reading specialist. And um, at that point, we were also reading pieces by Bruce Joyce and Beverly Showers about the importance of peer coaching. But but like you, we kind of, you know, I, I worked with my principal, we identified a need that had been voiced by the teachers, particularly the content area teachers who were really struggling with how um, how to help their students best meet the literacy needs of their courses. And um, we, like, like your situation, she gave me a one course, you know, she took one course prep away from me and allowed me to try to be a coach. <laughs> and I just, I felt so grateful for that opportunity because it required me, as it sounds like it required you, to ask a lot of questions, to be very observant and reflective, and really to, um, to base my approaches and the tools this, that I sought out on what not only the school's needs were, but primarily on what the teachers were telling me that they needed. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting. We when we talk to teachers, talk so much about how we have to be responsive to the needs of the students and different students have to have different approaches. But very rarely in coaching trainings is that something like it's the way that these coach, you know, and again, they need to sell their product and their products are great. But it's just very interesting to me that like, we think adult learners all need to learn in the same way but we think children or students need to learn, you know, we need to present them with a lot of ways. So I just think that's a nice thing that I think both you and I really recognized in our work, that these adults aren't all the same. Right, and that the advantage for us, because we were required to make it up as we went along in the beginning, was that we felt more comfortable drawing from different models and I think seeking out different models than we would have been had our district said to us, this is the model that we're using. Yes, for sure. Being able to have that open-endedness was really helpful. So Laura, I had mentioned that I use the New Teacher Center um, mentoring framework to start my coaching, as well as Jim Knight and Elena Aguilar. What were some of the frameworks that you pulled from? So, um, Joyce and Shower's work uh, from the 80s was actually instrumental for me when I started coaching in the early 2000s. Again, at that point, there wasn't a lot written about instructional coaching yet. Um, But as kind of I proceeded through coaching, I found a lot through cognitive coaching, Costa and Garmston's work that really resonated with me. Um, I also, ha- I teach within a program that is founded on Diane Sweeney's student-centered coaching mm-hmm. model. 
So while the course I teach isn't explicitly about that model, it certainly builds upon that model. So I'm familiar with it. And as some of you who are listening know, I've been coaching for the last eight years um, within the authentic intellectual work framework. So I call myself an AIW coach. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about that in a later episode, but um, AIW is really an instructional framework that defines um, overall learning goals for students, but there are particular coaching strategies that we use in addition to the other strategies from other models that I bring in. Nice. The um, New Teacher Center program is based on a lot of the work of Garmston, so we have some overlap there in what we're doing as well, which is cool. Even though it's real different, it's still got similar roots. And the other thing I've been doing recently, um, and and I mean very recently within the last year, is exploring the literature around coaching in the business world. And I have been actually really surprised, very pleasantly surprised about how much I've gained from uh, learning a little bit more about leadership coaching and organizational coaching and executive coaching, which is something we don't bring into um, our conversations about educational coaching very often, but I think we should. Well, I think that's interesting that you've gone, um, like that you've gone in a direction that is leadership and um, executive coaching in expanding your coaching. And I've been looking a lot into wellness coaching and uh, how we can coach habits for folks. So I think that that'll also be a really interesting conversation as we move on to look at how those different coachings that aren't around student growth can also really help us as coaches understand what we're doing and how to better serve our, our teachers. You know, like you and I have used different models, used different things, because you also have to figure out what works for you as the way you approach people. You know, the when I left my coaching position, I know the person that took the, the job, from, not from me, because it's not my job to have, but took that job. And I know she's going to do things really different than I did because she's got a very different personality than I do. And her strengths are not the same as my strengths. And you got to lean into what you're good at in the coaching experience as well. I think that's so important. And I think that sometimes, um, so as you know, Nicole, but listeners might not know that I teach coaching courses now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I see coaches struggling with a lot is when they're asked to use a model or to implement or, or use coaching to implement some kind of a curricular approach mm-hmm. that is that conflicts in some way with their beliefs about how best to support students and teachers. I think that um, we all face that at some point in our coaching work um, and being able to truly justify, being able to one, know what we believe mm-hmm. and why, you know, um, but also being able to justify why we, why we believe certain approaches need to be taken over others, I think is really important, yeah. but it's hard to do so hard to do, particularly, you know, in the like, go, 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 things need to happen quickly culture of most schools and school districts. Like there's not a lot of time to sit and pause before moving on. 
And I think in many ways that brings us full circle back to the beginning of the podcast where um, Nicole shared, you know, mindfulness practice. I, I really hadn't thought about and hadn't realized how, just how important it is, particularly in the world that we're living in now, um, where teachers are under so much stress um, from so many spaces, to be in a position as a coach um, where we can start off our coaching sessions in a way that helps teachers take a breath and ground themselves in the why of their work and the wonderful um, resources that they have around them, yeah. not only through their coaches, but also through their uh, peers who they're working with. Um, I, I think that's incredibly important. And I think that, again, just reminds me why, how, how important it is that we are not wedded to only one model of coaching. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you, I can't agree with you more. We just need to be able to take the time and space to really interact with the humanity. And sometimes if we get caught up in one model, we're just checking boxes and we're not coaching people. And then we lose people. We lose our clients. Yeah, exactly. Because they, they can feel it when that happens. And we can feel it when it happens, <laughs> if we're all paying attention. We started this episode with a mindfulness activity that you can use for yourself and in your coaching conversations. We'll start each episode of the podcast that way. We'll end each episode by sharing one question or practice that we hope you'll reflect on or put into practice during the week. So for this week, we'd like you to think about what is the one piece of insider knowledge that you keep coming back to? That, the one that serves as an anchor for you during your coaching work. We invite you to connect with us and with other members of the Insider Coaching community. And Nicole's going to tell you how we're going to do that. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook, all of which are Insider Coaching 4, that's the number, not the word, educators. And you can also check us out on our website, Insider Coaching for Educators. That's the number four, not the word. As coaches, we know that we're better when we can highlight and learn from the wisdom and experiences of our colleagues. As a result, we hope you'll join us for episode two, where we'll share some of the insights you posted on our social media. And we'll also delve into our next piece of insider coaching knowledge. As coaches, we need to identify our core beliefs and values. And we'll talk about why that distinguishes good coaching from great coaching. We look forward to seeing you soon.